And so people, I'm the only one left. I'm the only first minister alive who was at that constitutional conference when we enshrined those rights and freedoms in the constitution. So I have to speak up for those passed away first ministers, most of whom might be all because the prime minister today was very stubborn, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, but by far a majority of first ministers who were friends of mine and who helped carve out this charter of rights and freedoms would be standing shoulder and shoulder with me today to say, you can't do this. This is not a federal law, provincial law. These are sacred human rights that we put in the constitution. So Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have a really important show today. I have the Honorable Brian Peckford coming to the program. He was a past prime minister of Newfoundland and he is a first minister of Canada. That means that he was one of the ministers that crafted and signed the Charter of Freedoms and Rights. That's a big deal. That's like the Bill of Rights in the United States. He's equivalent to one of our founding fathers of Canada. He's the only one that's still, still alive. He'll explain that during the interview. And I'm so honored to have him on the show. I also wanna say how, how proud I am of my friends to the North, the Canadians, and how us Americans and other people around the world need to stand shoulder to shoulder with these Canadians. Our North American supply chain is at risk. And we need the Canadians and the Americans to stand shoulder to shoulder. We need to feed our people. This truckers convoy is extremely important for pointing out the freedoms and rights that are at stake here. And having the Honorable Brian Peckford here to educate us on how important this is. Before we get into the show, I want to dedicate the show to my friends in Canada. I'm not gonna be able to list all of you, but I'm gonna list some of you. Claude at Beyond Mystic, Amazing Polly, Amina Motola, and thank you, Amina, for everything that you keep doing, and Terry McDonald for setting up this show, and also for Kyle Kemper, because I believe that your heart's in the right place. And if I missed anyone, I apologize. I'm forgetting maybe that you're Canada, Canadian, and I think you're just a, you're an American like me. I just forget, because you're my friend. So if I uh, missed you, my apologies. But again, I am so proud of my Canadian friends to the North. And before we get into the show, please go to my website, sarahwestell.com, sign up for my newsletter. I have articles coming out daily now, uh, just documenting what's going on around the world. And I think it's important that we stay in contact with email as well as on video, because you never know what's gonna happen with communications and you can stay informed that way. So, and while you're there, please support my affiliates. I also have the foundation pack, the health pack, and that is so important. You'll be nourished, as Dr. Glidden says, you'll be nourished completely for the first time in your life because the foods we have are not providing that nourishment and you can experience what that difference is in your life and how you're gonna feel. So anyways, let's get into this really important show with the Honorable Brian Peckford. Hello, Mr. Peckford. I am so honored to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. The more venues I can use to disseminate my message, the better. Well, you are a past premier of Newfoundland, and you're also right. the only living member of the Charter of Human Rights, I believe. And I'm not a Canadian, so I might be saying some of these things wrong. I apologize. Yeah. But you yeah. are, 
I'm, I'm telling you, you are a living legend in Canada and people are just so happy that you're involved in this fight. So can you tell the world, because this is, I have an international show and, and I got to tell you, everyone is so happy with the Canadians are doing. I think you're bringing an inspiration to the world. And so I have a lot of friends from Canada, so I'm so proud of them. And what, what is going on and how are you, well, first, let's start first. Will you talk a little bit about your background and what you did with right. the human rights legislation? Right. Okay. Um, I was premier, as you said, of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's the easternmost province in Canada. It's the island and Labrador, which is off Nova Scotia, if you will, for a lot of Americans whose geography that, that I might help them with that. And so I was the first minister or premier in the United States who would be governor of a state. Uh, so I was the uh, premier of Newfoundland for 10 years, from 1979 to 1989. And it was during that time that the 10 provinces and the federal government negotiated a deal whereby for the first time in our history, we would put individual rights and freedoms, we would write them down from 1867, when we became a country until 1981-82, all of our rights and freedoms were just an unwritten British common law and custom and convention. There was nothing written down. And you know that what that can mean if an individual is going to court to try to litigate to say my rights or freedoms are gone, the first thing the lawyer would have to do is go look for precedents, go look for unwritten common law, things that happened over the years in the British Commonwealth. And it could get very messy and very uncertain. And so the first ministers of Canada in 1981 decided that we needed to codify, if you will, or put in writing the rights and freedoms for Canadians. In America, you were, you were uh, created as a country in 1776, and in 1791, you had a Bill of Rights. And so that'll just give you an idea of the difference between the two countries. You know, you're only 14 years or so when you had uh, a, a Bill of Rights in your constitution. We did not. We were formed in 1867, and we had to go all the way 114 years before we had a written Bill of Rights. We call it in Canada, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And that was placed in the Constitution Act of 1982. So it's more than just a federal law or a provincial law. It's in the Constitution like it is in the United States. So it has, it's, it's precious and it's sacred. Okay. That's what we did in 1982. On comes the pandemic <clears throat> or the virus. And Canadian governments from coast to coast to coast, all 14 of them, three territories, 10 provinces in the federal government, began initiating, declaring emergencies, and you know a real knee-jerk reaction. Uh, a, a stepping all over rights. And then all of a sudden, you're stepping all over these constitutional rights, which were protected by the constitution. And so people, I'm the only one left. I'm the only first minister alive who was at that constitutional conference when we enshrined those rights and freedoms in the constitution. So I have to speak up for those passed away first ministers, most of them, might be all, because the prime minister today was very stubborn, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, but uh, by far a majority of first ministers who were friends of mine and who helped carve out this charter of rights and freedoms would be standing shoulder and shoulder with me today to say, you can't do this. This is not a federal law, provincial law. These are sacred human rights that we put in the constitution. So it would be away from the 
everyday laws of a province or of a federal government. And you can't do this. The justification under the constitution, you have not proven, and therefore you can't do this and it's unconstitutional. And they continue to do this, all of them. And now what we find, and I've been arguing by the way, having public meetings and Zoom meetings all over Canada. And as you say, I'm getting hundreds and hundreds of emails every hour. My wife and I, sure. I yeah, are just like, and people just, I mean, like crying to me, uh, uh, just oh. saying, thank you, Mr. Peckford, for doing what you're doing. Telling me their story about their mother who lives in Ontario. They live in British Columbia. She's dying. They can't go see their mother, right? Uh, families that can't go, who immigrated from Poland, who can't go back and look after their parents because they can't get aboard a plane. They're not allowed to get aboard a plane. There's no exemptions, not even for situations like that. So I'm getting all these horrendous stories. So all of this talk that I was doing, and it was very effective with others, of course, not just, I wasn't alone, but I'm the only first minister alive. Um, I, I said to my wife, and we were really busy on this, but I said, you know, is there anything more I can do? And what, the next thing I could do was not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, as they say. And so in contacting the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, which is a national organization which represents individuals who are going to court where constitutional rights have been violated, I contacted them and through their lawyers and outside lawyers, they said, wow, are you prepared to put your name to a, a lawsuit where the federal government has violated the constitution with this travel ban that they brought in, preventing people from traveling across the country or, or leaving the country? And I said, yes, I am, because that's right in section six of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So I launched a lawsuit last week with others, five others, Names are on it, all of whom can give you examples of what's happened to them. And we've launched this lawsuit. I think it's the first time in the history of Canada that a former first minister has actually taken his government to court over something that he helped craft. Well, and your, your fellow former first ministers are probably rolling in their graves. Like you said, you'd be standing shoulder to shoulder to fight this. You probably, I mean, it's it's like the equivalent of you being a founding father in the United States of America. And Absolutely. so Canadians, uh, you're precious. It would be so amazing if Thomas Jefferson was here to stand shoulder to shoulder with you to say, hey, this is a violation of our constitution. So uh, how how are they responding? I mean, I, I saw Trudeau. I mean, we most of us saw Trudeau. He's trying to paint this as just a few extremists who are racist and bigoted who don't represent the people. I mean, it's that tired line that they keep going back to. It's absolutely false, as you know, but is that essentially what the government is doing following his lead? A absolutely. I mean, he's called us, anybody who's not vaccinated, he's called us racist. I had that in my lawsuit, by the way. I have, I have his actual words in, in the lawsuit. We call them racist, misogynists, right? That we, we perhaps we shouldn't be taking up this space in Canada. I mean, can you believe that? Now, here's a prime minister, by the way, who broke the law five times and got reelected. I know. He broke the law five times and got reelected in, in the last federal election last fall. But what they have been successful in doing with the mainstream media is painting a picture early on of chaos, crisis, 
and all the rest of it, okay? And so all of the mainstream media bought into this, CBC, the national broadcaster, CTV, Global News, and all the rest of them. And see, most of the smaller news outlets get their feeds from the bigger ones because they don't have the capacity, right, to do all of their own work. And so if you've got a Reuters and an Associated Press and those two big ones I just mentioned, you know, writing these stories, the, the, media, the small press and the, and the local press and the local newspapers, you know, are having a job to, 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 <laughs> to do anything, only carry what the mainstream media carried. So early on for the first three or four months, they were able to paint a picture of crisis. And most of the people in Canada still in this little neighborhood that I live in, a small city on Vancouver Island, are scared to death. The older ones are scared to go out and get groceries. And here we have a situation where under 60, under 60, the, the uh, recovery rate is 99.99. And the fatality rate is 0.008. Higher yeah. if you use the proper protocols. And then, of course, we had all this early treatment was ignored, even vitamin D. Not one public health officer in Canada talked about, have you got the right levels of vitamin D? I mean, this is stuff that I learned as a child. Basic. But, you know, with, with basic stuff that my mother and our doctor would say to us, you know, make sure you're taking your vitamins. Get tested to see whether you've got your levels of vitamin D up. Because living in a northern clime, we don't get enough sunshine to keep our, our vitamin Ds up. And that's why our milk is fortified with vitamin D, for example. So, so this kind of stuff, ignore. And by the way, all of the provinces of Canada have what's called an emergency measures organization, okay? Every single province, all 10 of them have an emergency measures organization, which does nothing else, only plan for unusual circumstances, you know, ice storms, floods, right, hurricanes in Alberta, whatever, right, and um, uh, that kind of thing, or tornadoes, I should say, in Alberta, uh, or other kinds of, you know, weather-related or health-related things. They have plans on their desk how to deal with these kinds, because when the swine flu came and other earlier pandemics, they planned for this. But what the governments of Canada did is they took a uni single issue approach, just the clinical public health people, ignored everybody else, all the other departments, ignored the emergency measures organizations, sitting there with plans to do a, a multi-dimensional approach. It, and, and what, by the way, what these emergency measures organizations had, had in place was something like the Great Barrington Declaration, right? In other words, target the vulnerable and yeah, let absolutely. the society who are not vulnerable, get on with their lives. And that's what they had there in place. And uh, there's a, a man here in Canada called Lieutenant Colonel David Redmond, who was a part of the Emergency Measures Organization of Alberta. And he's written such unbelievable material uh, about what is in place that all the governments ignored. So it's not like there wasn't an alternative. There were alternatives available for the governments, especially after the first 60 or 90 days, which they have ignored right to this day. Which is just incredible. You know, it's happening around the world to most of the Western countries. And so Canada is not alone. I mean, we, no. you, as you know, and some of our states in the United States are very much like Canada. Canada was one of the most severe, you guys had the, one of the most severe situations, at least in the United States, like LA or, or New York or whatever, people could get in their car and drive to another city and, and get yeah. some freedom, right? Right. Uh, Canada is a little bit like Hawaii. Hawaii is like, I mean, Hawaii is really struggling. So I, I am so proud, but is, this is the, the one thing that has united the people. I mean, politics aside, I mean, people are like, this is, all of us should be coming together. And we're seeing now, that with the truck convoy, the truckers right. convoy. 
Now right. they are getting, I mean, that's, it's not a minority fringe. I mean, we've seen the videos. We know it's a majority. We see them going through all these small towns and just person after person giving them their support. But now yes. the government is working hard to pin this down and to shut them down. Can you talk about what's going on there from yeah. the opposition yeah. from the government? Yes, and, and, and let me give you some context here. New, uh, Canadians, as you know, as a lot of Americans know, are very passive, law-abiding citizens, right? As most people say, nice for Canadians. They're nice people, right? N-I-C, nice people, right? Uh, oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry if I bumped into you. Oh, excuse me, uh, that kind of thing. And so we're not eager, uh, we're not eager to jump into a civil disobedience situation, even a lawful civil disobedience situation. And I have been arguing for some time before the truckers started that uh, we're, it's quite likely it's going to have to come to civil disobedience, knowing full well when I said that, that most Canadians are not, are not eager to do that. And so what triggered our civil disobedience, thankfully, were the truckers who suddenly found that the federal government of Canada through their mandates, we're going to say every trucker that crosses over in the United States, you know what our trade is like, the two, you know, the, this is the biggest trading uh, situation in the world. They're shutting down the global supply chain or the supply chain in North America exactly. is what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And so all the truckers were going to have to be vaccinated and even truckers that were vaccinated said, hey, come on here. Well, just one second. We have freedom of choice in our country. And they don't Why want the booster. Exactly. And security is a yeah. yeah, exactly. And of course, the other one didn't work either. I mean, there's lots of evidence now to show that none of these things work. And then if you look on the other side of how many have died, over mm -hmm. 20,000 in the United States from theirs, you know, 30,000 in Europe, and that's only 1% of the total. We're talking about two or 300,000 people died of the vaccine and two or 3 million injured because of it. But, you know, we got a pretty serious situation. So a lot of people are hesitant. But if even if that wasn't there, we have rights and freedoms and they're violating our rights and freedoms. So the truckers began in British Columbia and Alberta to say with the rest of the country, hey, this has gone too far. You know, this has just gone too far. So they started to mobilize and then they started to move from west to east because Ottawa, the capital, is in the center of the country. So they went from British Columbia to Alberta, right, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and picked up people as they went along and are now ensconced in Ottawa. Uh, trying to persuade the government to take away these mandates. And they came from Ontario, Nova Scotia, and, and Quebec, uh, from east to west and from west to east. And here we are in Ottawa today. And what's happening? The prime minister is condemning them, condemning us, condemning those truckers. All the mainstream media this morning. I put on my blog this morning five headlines. The major headlines out of all of the major news media this morning are negative towards the truckers. Right. And that's all deliberate. They're trying to close down these truckers and get the majority of Canadians to say that they're Nazis, that they're extremists. And all they're looking for is their basic rights that we have enshrined in the Constitution. Well, would you say that that is giving a huge message to the average person that the media is bought out and there's something wrong with the media? It's starting to happen, but in Canada, I'll tell you, it's a monumental, it has to be a monumental effort. And of course, someone like myself, who's got a fair amount of respect for the time when I was, not just when I signed the charter and brought those rights and freedoms into writing in the constitution, but they know that I ran an honest administration for 10 years in Newfoundland and that I've been around since then 
speaking and write and wrote two books and so on. And so a lot of people know of me. A lot of that people now know me really well because they, I did the Jordan Peterson uh, interview uh, about seven days ago now, okay? 850,000 have viewed that video. And that went absolutely viral. And then I have done about 50 other ones, some of them an hour long, a lot of them an hour long, which a lot of Canadians have seen. And now we're starting to see Canadians starting to recognize. See, Canada doesn't have the history that the United States has in looking at your constitution. Constitution is something like a foreign concept to a lot of Canadians. And, and, and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution Act made it to educate them a bit. But, you know, democracy is a fragile thing. People get lazy and they don't go to their council meetings. They don't go and meet with their representative every few months, right? And they just rely on their elected representatives to do the right thing. Well, when that happens, democracy starts to fail. Look, civic engagement, if it's high, means good democracy. Yes. Civic engagement, if it's low, means very poor democracy. And that's what happened in Canada. So there was a powder keg there when the pandemic came along, which was very uh, vulnerable. We were very vulnerable. And people who like power could easily seize the moment and know that they had a vulnerable population, which they could easily massage with a bit of crisis thrown in for good measure. And that's what happened in Canada. And that's what I think happened in most of the world. Okay, so yeah. what are they doing besides the media painting all of you guys as racist Nazis, which is just absurd, obviously. Well, what they're doing now is they're saying the mayor of Ottawa is saying this is a disaster. Uh, you know, these terrible people got to go back home. <clears throat> you know, they've made their point, even though the government hasn't moved one inch. They got to get as if, you know, the capital of Ottawa, like the capital of the United States, gets extra money from all Canadians, right, to look nice, right? Tens and, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars every year that come out of all taxpayers. But we're not supposed to go to the protest. We're just supposed to let you have this extra money. And then when something comes up, you're still not supposed to come to Ottawa and protest. Well, of course, you know. Us Canadians who don't live in Ottawa are just saying, I'm sorry, but we have a right to protest in this capital. This is our capital as much as it's your capital. You That's just happen to live there, you know? It's, it's, so it is your capital. Exactly. And the mayor of, and now the government is saying we might have to bring in the military. That, the That's police. what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Yeah. The, Where is the, that at? The police of Ottawa now, of course, who are under the, who are under the auspices of the power of the city council. And of course, the government of Ottawa are now are being forced to say, right? And you know who's pushing them. The authorities are pushing them to say, oh, we might be overloaded here. Perhaps we have to bring in the military. Well, this is the first signal, right? They're, they're softening up everybody for what they, they, they quite likely will do in the next few days. So uh, I want you to know, and uh, the, the rest of Canada will know soon that uh, I'm involved in a number of organizations because I've taken this lawsuit, I know what's going on with the convoy, and I know the following, and this is the first time it's been sort of uh, exposed to the public. Uh, there are teams of lawyers now and accountants who are getting together with the truckers in Ottawa to make sure everything that they do, accounting-wise, with the money they've raised, so go for, oh, by the way, go fund me, cut them off this morning. Yes, so they go, they cut them off. Now that's illegal too, right? I mean, what well, the exactly. Heck? So, yeah, so we're getting lawyers together 
okay? So that as the governments start to try to move to condemn the truckers for A, B, C, or D, or you're spending your money incorrectly or something, they'll use some excuse to try to get at them. We're going to have lawyers and accountants available to ensure that what these people say is rebutted immediately so that we have a well-organized protest movement there that's legitimate and it's just asking for their rights to be restored and their freedoms to be restored, take away these mandates. So if the governments of Canada, and especially the government of Canada in Ottawa, thinks <clears throat> tomorrow that this is just a, a bunch of disorganized truckers that got together at the last minute, they've got another thing coming. This group are committed, dedicated, and they have the professional wherewithal to continue this very important fight. Well, I, I, it's so important. The rights are important, but I'm afraid that if you this doesn't win, our supply chain in North America, our people won't be fed. We won't right. have what we need. I think there's a bigger agenda behind this because they can't be this stupid, right? right? So it is so imperative that not only you guys don't back down, but our people here stand up shoulder to shoulder with the Canadians. Right, because if they're allowed to get away with this and flaunt the constitution, any day in the future, they can just declare an emergency and do the same thing and use this as a precedent. And so therefore our democracy and our rights as enshrined in the constitution are gone. So this is a pivotal mo moment in the history of North America and in the history of democracy, because if we allow this to stand, then our democracy has been diminished to the point where governments are in control into the future. And as you say, can cut off supply chains and do what they, you know, what they like uh, by issuing all these emergency orders for things which are not really an emergency. So this is a, this is a crucial time. By the way, uh, my wife just told me as I was coming on with you, yesterday, the government of Nova Scotia ordered that you're not allowed to stand by the highway now and, and cheer the truckers and the others on. They're taking away your right to protest on the side of your highway that you helped build, okay? Can you imagine that? It's one thing to say, make sure that the border in New Brunswick, right, with Maine is open. The truckers can't block that, I agree. You can't block the, the thing. You can protest, but don't block it. But the order goes on to say, and, and people along the side of the highways leading to the border can't protest there anymore, even though they're blocking nothing and just expressing their individual rights of support for what's going on. So this is a major, major incursion into it. And I'm going to be onto this as soon as I get off this um, podcast with you, uh, myself and many people across Canada, we're going to start to really attack the government of Nova Scotia for moving uh, to, to this degree to violate the rights of Canadians. Well, good for you. You know, when you block a highway, you're, you're keeping the supply chain from moving. You're exactly. doing what the government is doing, right? Exactly. The concern, exactly. the concern is we're moving pre-Magna Carta. I mean, we are devolving as a human species. If we don't fight back, this is the dark ages pre-Magna Carta. Remember, and you brought up, uh, no question, and I'm glad you brought up the Magna Carta, because in Canada, you know, and anybody who's read English law, right, and English history, which a lot of Canadians have, because we're, you know, British North America kind of thing, and up until 82, we still had connections to England, right? Uh, 82, we also severed the last 
thing. We didn't have to go back to London to amend our constitution. We could do it in Canada. So that also happened when we got our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, right? But so it's very, that Magna Carta thing is extremely important. But here's the other thing that, that you should know. Justin Trudeau went to the World Economic Forum School of Globalization. Christian Friedland, the Deputy Prime Minister, went to the Global Economic Forum, right, of Globalization. Macron in France, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and all of these United Nations types who want to have one government, forget the nation state, right? You have no, no sovereignty anymore. This is the kind of people who are in control of a lot of Western governments and have allowed this kind of, and we have allowed this kind of stuff to happen and seep down into our schools and our universities. I'm so glad you brought that up with the World Economic Forum. It is so important. The prime minister of New Zealand also went there. The, yeah. um, the governor of California um, yeah. also went there. It's, it's a lot of people that went there. And so it, what the heck? It's a worldwide thing. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something the media would never bring up. And I, you know, exactly. I've asked people who, who watch Fox News. And I say, right. that's better than the other, but it's not. And I say, well, how often do they talk about the World Economic Forum? Are you getting the news? How often are yeah. they talking about what's really happening here? And they don't. Yeah. They're not educating people like we need to. Because if the people were truly educated about, you know, they're censoring off doctors. They're censoring up the Second Opinion Forum, which I would really hope that the Canadians also do something like what Senator Ron Johnson did with the doctors in the Second yeah. Opinion. If yes. the people of the land understood what is really going on and had the information, that's why censorship is so critical because yes. if the people knew, that's why they're censoring because if the people knew they yes. would not stand for it, they would not, none of this. Yeah, no, I'm Macron too, by the way, of France is very much a part. He was at the World Economic Forum School. But the other day, a clip emerged that the Washington Clause, the head of the World Economic Forum, had done some time ago, where he said in the two minute clip that, oh, we're making a lot of progress because over half the Canadian cabinet we've already persuaded are on our side. The, he bragged about infiltrating the governments of the world and that he has he them under their control. About that. Yeah, so I mean, we have to bring that dimension into it. So there is a demand, and by the way, let me, let me say this, and I say this in all my speeches, is, when people ask me that question, what do you think is going on? Is there a second agenda here? What do you think is going on? And I say, listen, some of these people, especially Trudeau and Friedland and Macron and the lady in, in New Zealand, the big issue we have is that they fervently believe in this. They really seriously believe that a nation state should be diluted and that these international organizations should take over the world. They have a fixed firm belief that this is in the best interest of the world and that they and that you know mama and papa knows better the state knows better they fervently believe that that's the great danger we face they're not doing it as a ploy or as a method they're doing it because they believe it that's why they're so dangerous well and they truly believe that your country shouldn't have any rights because the central bankers want to take over the budgeting power of countries they seriously Absolutely. want to get rid of your sovereignty. And Absolutely. I, I mean, what, and they're willing to allow millions of people to die 
in order for that to happen, which is what's, you know, they're covering up the death of what's going on. Oh, yes, because remember the public good, you see, they, they introduced those two words, right? Which sound better than introducing that I'm imposing something. We're doing this in the interest of the public good. And the average American and the average Canadian and the average French and New Zealander, oh, you know, it takes them a while to process that this is really not in the public good. They're doing it in the name of their own philosophy, which is to decrease the sovereignty of Canada and the United States and to increase the power of the United Nations or some other international organization to, to so we'll be run by a bunch of unelected. Yeah, unelected bureaucrats out of Brussels or Rome or somewhere else, you know. So this is the real danger we face. Our democracies are in grave danger of losing some very uh, very basic rights, which will then see us move and slip into a more fascist state and a less democratic state. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's how critical this is and how important that people don't stand down. Um, I think, you know, people have said that this is even more important. This is on par with the American Revolution, what we're dealing with right now. And that yeah, and, and that's why everybody who I know, who I respect are coming out of the woodwork and fighting shoulder to shoulder. And yeah. there's a lot of Democrats that are fighting shoulder to shoulder with Republicans. Liberals yeah. in, our, in our country, traditional liberalism is not this. And so a lot yeah. of those well-known liberals are starting to say, wait a minute, they're starting to figure it out and stand shoulder to shoulder with people they wouldn't imagine to do that right. with in the past. And what we need to do is do the same thing with the Canadians, because this is our North American global supply chain. Granted, we each have our sovereign nation, but we depend on each other for food, for basic necessities. And energy. Look how much the Americans depend upon Canada for energy. Where do they get most of their energy from? From Canada, not from Saudi Arabia. It's from Canada in the pipelines that exist every day. There's hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil and gas pouring across and then all the food that comes in from the United States to Canada and all the other manufactured goods that come in. This is a huge big thing. And as I say to people, you can be sovereign and have a trade deal with your friend. Absolutely. You can be sovereign and have a trade deal. We did it for centuries. People forget that nobody knows their history much anymore. There was a thing called the Hanseatic League, which started out of Genoa and Venus, Italy and went all the way to Bergen, Norway through the river systems of, of Europe back in the 15th and 16th centuries, okay? It was called the Hanseatic League. People forget, it was a trade agreement. It never interfered with the sovereignty as these nations grew up and became nations. It was a trade agreement, okay? And, and so we, we can go back to Athens. Athens became powerful and, and actually a democracy for a while. Why did Athens? Because they were seafarers, because they traded. They traded throughout the Aegean Sea, right? They were big traders. So that's why Athens, well, I did an, an essay in university well, back then when I was teaching, when I was learning classics, right? Why was the, Amer- the Athenian Navy so important to Athenian democracy? That was the title of the essay. That was the title of the essay. So this whole business of trading and moving goods and services goes back to the beginning of man. But it doesn't mean that you can't have a sovereign nation at the same time. We can eat and chew gum at the same time. And we can tie our shoes and everything else. Okay, so you, you're in this lawsuit, but like I've said to others, and I'm in a lawsuit against Google for our censorship, this takes a long time. 
and we are in an urgent situation. So what do you, what is your message to the world on what well, people to... need to do right now in the meantime? We still got to find all these lawsuits. You know, I, I just had Thomas Rents on and he's fighting lawsuits. God bless you guys for fighting these lawsuits. But what do we yeah. need to do in the meantime? Because we can't wait for these lawsuits to complete. We've, we've got to support all those organizations that are involved in legitimate civil disobedience. We've got to support them. In my case, the Justice Center, which relies completely on donations, okay? The, the lawyers who are taking my lawsuit, and they've negotiated a contract with outside solicitors too to help them on it, but they depend completely upon donations. So the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms uh, in Canada is getting donations in, you know, and people call me and I tell them this is where you can go. So people have got to support in the United States and in Canada and anywhere around the world, those organizations, those legitimate organizations that are fighting for rights and freedoms in a, you know, a rational and sensible way. And that's very important. And participate in protests and civil disobedience at their legislature uh, in their state or in their province. I was the one in um, here in British Columbia on the weekend, this past weekend, I was the keynote speaker. 10,000 people turned up at the legislature in Victoria, the capital of British Columbia. I mean, nobody thought it was going to be 2,000 turn up, right? And here they came out in droves from all over Vancouver Island, and the truckers came as well. And it was a beautiful display of civil disobedience. And guess what? The media could not find one scintilla of unusual behavior, right? Not one. It was so peaceful and done so well. And we had music and we had people there from all. I had the old ladies stuffing $10 bills in my pocket, crying. Oh, yeah. They want to see their family members. I got to tell you, our January 6th, we had agitators. So they need, people need to be aware of the agitators because the vast majority on January 6th was a problem. I know the media is just waiting to pounce on that because they want to turn it into a January yes. 6th that happened in the United States. And yes. so you've got to be very careful about these agitators. Um, you do have some people in parliament who are speaking out and saying, hey, wait a minute, these people just want to be heard. What is right. going on? But they're not being, they're getting shut down as well. Well, they were, they were attacked this morning. They were attacked by this morning by the mayor of Ottawa to say these conservative MPs, elected MPs in the Parliament of Canada, right? They're ridiculous. They're crazy. That's what the mayor of Ottawa said this morning because they supported the truckers in defending their rights and freedom. And, and I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable what's going on in this country right now. It is, it is absolutely crazy. But can, can, Canadians and Americans got to continue to support legitimate civil disobedience organizations and legal organizations that are helping people fight these measures because they're turning into very oppressive, right? Contrary to our constitution and cannot be allowed to stand if we're to continue to have our democracy. We, we just cannot allow it to stand. And so we're, we're, we will stand strong and I will. And through my, oh, by the way, your question. The, my lawsuit is taking the federal government to court so we go directly to a federal court, okay, called the Federal Court of Canada. Whereas most of the other legal, uh, because all the provinces have their own mandates, and the provinces in, in Canada have a little bit more power than the states in the United States, although you'd never know it these days. You look at Ron DeSantis and the, la the lady in South Dakota and 20 or more other states. I mean, they're beautiful people. I mean, we, we, yeah. we're, we fear worship Ron DeSantis up here. I mean, what this man has done 
for Florida and for America and for democracy is no man's business. But how that guy has stood up so good. We love we, him. We keep referring to him. We said, where's our premier DeSantis? Where's our premier DeSantis? But in any case, my lawsuit, so I don't have as many steps to go to get to the Supreme Court. All the other, many of the other lawsuits that go through the mandates of the provinces have to go through the Supreme Court of the provinces first before they can get to the Supreme Court of Canada and therefore take longer. By going this route and attacking the travel ban, which is federal, we can get directly into the federal court. And the other reason why we did it, it affects every single Canadian, this travel ban does, because it prevents people from going from province to province, let alone leaving the country. And who, who can't leave the country and go for only the unvaccinated? Or, That's right. And, and to be vaccinated, you have to be double boosted? Yeah, right now it's double vaccinated, I think. And now, now they're moving on to boost it, right? And so, yeah. And so most of us are not vaccinated at all. So uh, we, can't, we can't travel. And, and therefore, uh, and, and you know, a lot of, I had two emails yesterday out of the hundreds I've had uh, in, every day to uh, families who are leaving Canada. They said, Brian, they said, Brian, you know, uh, we, we, we lodge your lawsuit, and, but we don't even trust the courts anymore. We see what happened in some of the lower courts. Uh, we're not willing to wait until the higher courts rule. We have our children to look after. You know, we have, you know, we've, some of them are from Poland and have uh, parents back in Poland. Uh, and they said, we can't wait any longer. You know, this could be two or three years before this gets to the Supreme Court of Canada and all the other mandates get lifted. Uh, and, and see, the other problem we got right now, which the governments are working on, this is we've insidious. This is evil. They know that if they start to lift the mandates because they, this latest variant is so weak, they'll start to lift the, the mandates and everybody will go away and say everything's back to normal again. Not realizing that all that's happened is that the mandates were lifted, but the violations of our rights and freedoms are still there. And we must not- You can't stop fighting. We can't stop fighting until we have the courts decide that what they did was unconstitutional. Otherwise we've lost our freedom. Otherwise you've allowed it and people can't be complicit. They're gonna be complicit. You cannot rest on their laurels just because they right. dropped the mandates. You cannot. Absolutely. We just, Thomas Rentz and I just had that conversation. It is so important. Now the people from Poland, they lived through communism. They, they know they're scared. They're like, oh my gosh, we're seeing this pattern. You know, we have people in states that are moving. You know, it's notorious that people are moving to Texas and Florida out of yeah. California and New York because yeah. it's, it's horrible. So I don't, yeah. I don't blame people, but yeah. So the, so this is going to, even though you're going to the Supreme court directly, it is going to take time. So yes. people just need to have civil disobedience. And that's what your message is. No question. And I think of enough of us because they think that they're going to dilute us by reducing some of the madness. If enough, enough of us stay at the legislature every week, right? And we got 14 legislatures, by the way, three territories and 10 provinces, plus the federal government, right? So we got 14 legislatures. So we got lots, lots of legislatures that people can uh, protest at and, and, and impact the legislatures or in those legislatures. If enough of us do it, we can change it, as we know from right back to the Magna Carta, when the, both the nobles at that point and the commoners got together and said, enough, Mr. Monarch, enough, Mrs. Monarch, we want more power to the people, whatever class we are, we want more power to the people. We want a court system that works, right, for everybody. 
And so that was the beginning of it, that Magna Carta. But it took the people, right, who influenced the monarch to, to relinquish some of that power back down to the people. <laughs> we, can't, we can't go back. Uh, and no. we, you know, we can't go back to pre-776. We can't go back to pre-1867 before we had a country Canada. Come on, people. We, you know, we got to stand up now. And because we've gotten soft in our prosperity, we can't allow that to be soft on our democracy. Absolutely. Now, how do they support you and follow what you're doing? They can support me through going into the Center for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. That's a big website, and you just plug in Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, and up will come their website, and there'll be a place there to donate. And you click on that, and you can just donate generally to all their cases, or you can go in and donate to travel restrictions, which is my lawsuit. So donate to the Justice Center and donate to other uh, lawyer organizations that are also fighting this, as well as to a whole bunch of organizations around Canada, which are fighting it. So that's what people can do besides get out and protest. Get out and protest. Thank you so much. We are, you're a godsend to the world and you're a beacon to the world. And thank you so much. It's been an honor to be able to interview you today. So thank you. Thank you very much for contacting me and keeping an eye on Canada there in Minnesota. And we appreciate having this kind of international dimension to our fight. And you can tell, I can tell your, your audience today, we will not relent.